In this episode of Chime In, we want to talk about some of the NBA's greatest what-if stories. Some of the players that had some of the brightest potential careers that somehow were curtailed by injury. What up, what up, what up? Let's chime in. So we're in, you're, you know, knee-deep into the 2019 NBA playoff season, and we're on the cusp of the NBA draft. So it got me to thinking about some of the historical busts that we've had come through the draft. But also, there are some superstars that their careers could have been so much better, perhaps, if they hadn't been ravaged by injuries. Um, I think about Penny Hardaway. I think you have something to say about him. Well, for me, Penny Penny Hardaway was one of my favorite uh, basketball players. Um, following Jordan, just for the simple fact that it was around a time when everybody was trying to find, um, I guess, the next heir to Jordan. Um, Penny had that, you know, he had a nice style of basketball. Um, He was one of the best, most exciting and explosive um, guards to ever come through the NBA. And I think the fact that he ran into um, the injuries that he had so early in his career, it definitely... Um, kind of not necessarily ended his career, but it definitely put a damper on it. Um, he for sure didn't reach the true potential that he would have had just due to this, you know, the extent of the injury. But he was um, exciting to watch. Um, I remember him and um, Shaquille, him and Shaq were both pretty much young in their career. They were exciting. They were new for basketball. So there was a, there was a new magic um, around the team. In the sense that magic around the magic. Nope. No pun intended, but you know, it was a, it was a burst of new energy. You know, they both were young. They both were explosive. They both were new. Um, They had, I don't think the league had seen anybody like Shaq since probably Wilt, somebody so dominant. Um, And the fact that you could pair him up with Penny Hardaway, it, it was a great tandem. So watching them play was like, you knew the horizons were bright for them. Well, Penny had, was like a media sensation. Like, I remember the commercials. He had a shoe. You had Chris Rock playing Little Penny. I mean, he was, you know, he, he was out there. He was a big star. And, you know, he, he got his credentials in early. I mean, he was drafted in 93. And by the next year, he was already an all-star. Right. So he had a great run, I think, four straight years as an all-star um, before the injuries kind of took over. And he never really achieved that level of success again individually. And let's be fair, um, I think even to this day, Shaq knows that he did not give that tandem enough years. I think he knows that. I think he said that, actually. Penny was a great sidekick, and I, and that's a big what-if in the history of the NBA, what really could have um, have happened with that pair out in, in uh, Orlando. Yeah, it was a great one-two. Um and I think he was also a fan favorite, like the fans. Absolutely. I think the fact that he got injured, it hurt the fans more than anything because they knew, they saw the potential, but he was so well-loved. Um, and the fact that it didn't pan out as he would expect or as you would like it, um, it was one of those situations where you kind of see those, I guess, in essence, those players that could have been you know, not necessarily the next Jordan, but 
it was just amazing to watch, but you weren't able to see them play at their at their best um, just for the sake of injury. Um, and I would say the next person um, in line to that would be Grant Hill because Grant Hill wasn't too late, too much later after him. Um, he was definitely one of the people that they were trying to peg as the next Jordan. Absolutely. And it's so funny that they're trying to find the next Jordan and Jordan is still Jordan at that point. You know, these two guys, Penny was drafted in 93 and Grant backdoored in 94. I mean, that was right in the middle of, I guess this is when Michael took a break <laughs> and, you know, which I'm always grateful for that break because that is when Hakeem, the dream took over and brought Houston our two championships. So thanks Michael for that. But it's so funny that that's how great Michael was that they were already trying to find the next Michael when he was still Michael. So it just lets you know, like the fact that they were even mentioned in that category really just, I mean, kids of today will never really know what what 90s NBA basketball was like. I think it was really um, a favored air. Um, the teams that were there, the way the offense was, the way defense was, the way teams were, the coaches. You know, it's just it was an, an amazing era in, in, in NBA basketball. And people who weren't fans or weren't born will never truly understand. But the things that Michael Jordan was doing um, individually – and the team success he'd already seen, um, you know, to to throw these those two in there um, as the next Jordan, it, it's it's a pretty weighty term, and I think it's it's an example that you know you're always one good injury away, you know, um, when these two players started um, experiencing these these injuries, they never quite got back to that promised land. Um, with Penny. Um, I think Shaq, like I said, knows that he didn't give that pair enough of a chance. Um, they got embarrassed, you know, swept in the finals in 94. Um, and, you know, the writing was on the wall not too much longer after that. Shaq was headed to L.A. and um, injuries took over Penny's career. Um, but Grant Hill, to me, is a testament. I think they call him the Iron Man. He still had a 19-year career despite having, I think, four ankle surgeries where they had to like completely um, rebuild his ankles. But, you know, he was, he was a beast with the Pistons. He had a good run. That's a seven time all-star, you know, and I would say, I mean, he's, he's now a hall of famer, you know, first ballot. He was rookie of the year. Right. Um, a lot of accolades there, I think. And he's a respectable guy. He went to Duke, um, Family man, been married over 20 years. Um, he now commentates, you know, just an all-around good guy. And I think his personality was always shown that way, even back in the 90s, the commercials that he had, the endorsements that he had. Um, he did a little bit of TV, you know. Um, so I think he's the greatest example of somebody who didn't succumb to those injuries, and he just kept at it. He put the work in. He had a solid career afterwards. I think even late in his career, he played 82 games one season when he was 36 years old. I mean, I think he's the greatest example of somebody who doesn't let injuries, you know, really just consume him. He found a way to kind of flip it and is still successful to date. And he's also, I guess, cut from a different cloth. He comes from that generation of the old school basketball player. And has that old school, you know, grind mentality. Mm -hmm. Also, being a Duke player, they're Absolutely. kind of built that way. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's true. Um, where you know, I mean, 
you make your commitment, you have to follow through. And for him, he just loved the game. Yeah. And even though he was um, injured, he was like, I still want to be a part of it some kind of way. Right. And you know, some players like that, even if I can't play in the game, like now he's a commentator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have so much, you know, wealth of knowledge, but they're also well-respected and loved, like with Penny. Um, yeah. They were loved by, you know, the fans as well as a lot of the team um, teammates. Um, and so I think with them, it's just a matter of, you know, how big could have they could have they been if they weren't injured? Um, you'll never know, but at the same time, it was good to see like different glimpses or bright stars or you know big plays that they had and big moments that they had during you know whether or not it was the playoffs or whether it was just in a regular season game. Um, so, if you had to pick within the last, I'd say, last ten years, who would you say was the biggest? That's necessarily an upset, um, but a player where you feel like they they could have been one of the greatest, but you know they just an injury created some sort of you know you know derailment to their to their potential. Well, I mean there there's there's a couple more. I think that we can probably outline. I'd say about three. We can talk about Tracy McGrady. Okay, we can talk about Brandon Roy. Which, you know, some people today may not know truly, you know, what Brandon Roy brought to the league, but he was something special and he re- his career really got cut short. Right. Everyone else that we're talking about today at least had the, the chances to have a little bit more longevity and had a good bulk of years where they had a prime, um, where they did enough to make them relevant. I mean, Penny and, and Grant were drafted over 25 years ago. We're still talking about them today. Um and of course, the other one that's kind of you know still on his road to redemption is Derrick Rose. Right. Um, so Tracy McGrady, of course, is special to me. He played for Houston. You know, um, we had some some good runs in the playoffs. We had a historic twenty two game win streak when he was with us. Um, but we'll dial it back to Orlando Magic. Tracy McGrady, a walking bucket. Okay. Now, granted, some of his teams with Orlando weren't very competitive, but he was always entertaining to watch. And this is somebody who came out of high school. Okay, still managed a, you know, 16-year career. Hall of Famer, you know. I think he was probably one of the the best pure scorers in history. Yeah. Um, When Tracy McGrady was hot, there was no stopping him. He was was lights out. um, He's James Harden before James Harden was James Harden. And T-Mac did it in the flow of a real offense. No offense, Houston, but. <laughs> well, I mean, he kind of had no choice because back then, um, really was when he came to Houston, um, it was him and Yao, but him and Yao were kind of trading spaces in terms of injury. So right, a lot yeah. of times when Tracy was holding down the fort, yeah. Yao may have been out. And then when Yao was back in the game, Tracy may, may have been out. You're right. And this was later, into his, later in his career. Um, but when he was hot, he still was able to, like, take his team to the promised land. Right. Um, so it's, this is a perfect case of what would happen if they would have been healthy, both him and Yao. They could have potentially won, you know, possibly a championship if they had maybe a few more role players, and been, few more players. and been healthy at the same time. The problem that Houston always had was the others. You know, we've landed some really big stars. We've had all-star players. We've had MVP caliber players. But we always struggled with a complete team. And um, unfortunately, you know, Tracy McGrady um, – 
And, and you know, and personally, that was like a huge devastation for me because when we got Tracy McGrady, that means that my all-time favorite player was traded from the Houston Rockets, Steve Francis, in a move that you know derailed his career. <laughs> but that's another that's another tangent, another story for another day. But um, yeah, Tracy McGrady. I mean, it was up and down, a little tumultuous. Um, and what took him out was back spasms. Right. And just imagine that, like, you're late 20s and you're having to deal with back problems already. It's a pretty serious, it's debilitating. Yeah. Um, he would probably be one of the severest cases, uh, but he still managed to have a long career. He did. A long career. Not only that, but he had, you know, he had some big moments. Yeah, he did. Um, he was a consistent uh, all-star player. Um, Seven-time all-star. So it wasn't like he didn't have a long career. He had a pretty long career. It's just the fact career. that he had to fight through the back spasm. Similar to um, Steve Nash. Steve Nash is one of those people that right. had to deal with that. Um, but that's just a testament Dwight to Dwight Howard the, now. Yeah, and see, that's a testament to their their will and desire and love for the game. Like, but, not too many people are going to, you know, withstand those spasms just to play. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, it's scary to think. I mean, there was a period of time in the league, a, a good three years where it was Kobe versus T-Mac for best player, you know, in the NBA, best offensive output player, who's better than the other. I mean, that was a legitimate conversation for a good chunk, a few years there. And think about T-Mac. He went from, he was drafted in Toronto in 97, uh, played behind his cousin Vince Carter for a couple of years, and moved on to to Orlando Magic, and he kind of worked his way up. People forget that he was most improved player in 2001. And the next two years, he was a scoring champ of the NBA, right. averaging more than 30 points a game. You know, like, he, he was he was hot. And when him and Kobe were, were, were really going at it, Kobe had the, the advantage of having a better team right. and having, uh, you know, some fella named Shaquille O'Neal, you know, as his sidekick. So ultimately, Kobe prevailed, you know, and he has the, the rings to match in that aspect, but T-Mac is something serious. And it really took until um, when he got elected to the Hall of Fame for me to really um, remember what he brought to the game offensively. I mean, we're talking about 13 points in 35 seconds versus San Antonio 2007. You know, like historic feats. He's a sign. See, he wasn't braggadocious. He didn't play in a big market. He didn't play in a team that was stacked with a lot of talent. His nickname was the Big Sleep. Big Sleep. He was a silent assassin. But yeah. you know when he was in there and he, when he was clutch. He could be unstoppable. Right. And him and Kobe actually had similar styles of play. Absolutely. You know, they were sharpshooters, but when they were hot, they were hot. Yeah. Um, so It was a viable comparison. Nowadays, you know, of course, we don't put Tracy McGrady in the, in the categories that we put, you know, talking about the greatest of all times that we talk about Michael Jordan and Kobe and LeBron James, but... People who know know that there was a period of time when it was back and forth, like who's better, Kobe, T Mac, Kobe, T Mac, and you can make a, a, an argument for T Mac in some instances. Well, he would definitely be on the list of the greatest pure scorers, absolutely, because that's what he did. You know? Yeah, if we're talking about offense and that period of the NBA, oh, he's up there every time. And if you don't know, then you don't know. Just like Carmelo Anthony, right. if you don't know, or I'll say, if you know, you know. Right. Okay. Put some respect on them guys' names. Um, Brandon Roy, because he probably had the shortest career out of anybody we're talking about. 
the original. Today. So Brandon Roy is the original. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. <laughs> They're so similar in you know in the way that they play and just the whole you know persona. They're not. They're not braggadocious either, and it's funny how all of these players they have similar characteristics in the sense that they're not really flamboyant players. They're not really loud. You don't really hear too much about them. They do all the talking on the court, um, but it just so happened that they had injuries that kind of you know couldn't overcome. Right, um, but he was he was one of those people that actually back then because Portland had didn't have too much talent. He really had to carry the team. Yeah. So he was the real spotlight for that team, but. He made, he took them to some big games and he you know he stood up. Yeah, I mean Portland was trying to recover past the the Rasheed Wallace era. <laughs> I love Rasheed Wallace. He's I a like knucklehead, him. but I love Rasheed Wallace. Um, they were trying to clean up the image. Trying to clean up the image, you know. So, I mean Brandon Roy was kind of a sleeper talent. I mean, in a league where you know jumping the gun early is prevalent. I mean he was played all four years. But at, a, at a, a school that doesn't really get a lot of attention, Washington. But he was a hometown, you know, he's from Washington. Um, so, I mean, really his whole life he's been in the northeast part of the United States. So for, to go from Washington to be drafted by the Portland Trailblazers, hometown hero, you know, he's not far from home. And, um, I mean, he was, he was nice. Yeah. He was real nice offensively. I'm just – it behooves me, like, what happened there? I mean, I know he had – I guess the writings were on the wall because he missed a chunk of games in his rookie season. Uh, I think he was out with a heel injury. And I think he just just had a slate of injuries just on and off. And and then he ended up having the big one with the knee. That meniscus is something serious. I never played sports, but I hear that this meniscus is really – <laughs> it's some really a killer. But that's the thing. Some injuries are really career in- injuries. Mm-hmm. And some of them you could kind of, you know, you can play through. And some of them you just will never be the same. And then not to mention that sometimes when you have injuries, um, they cause other injuries. And then once that starts to build up, it's just like an accumulating factor. And then you get to the point where you're just managing your your, your performance. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, how long can you do that? And not only that, if they have you pegged as a franchise player, do you really want to have that pressure? Where they're expecting you to do, you know, be a, a double-double person, bring them to the playoffs, and you can barely get out of bed. That's not realistic. It's true. Um, so a lot of these players have to make that decision. Do I want to step down as the man, or do I want to try and, you know, truck through this and then know that for the rest of my life I probably will be in a, in a wheelchair? But see, and, and I always wonder that because, again, I'm not an athlete, but, you know, Eclipse in the age of 30, I did notice some things different mechanically, okay, just from everyday um, everyday use. But what what is it with injuries? Is it something in the conditioning? Is it a streak of bad luck? You know, I mean, we look at LeBron James because you know he has to make it into every conversation we have. And he's one of the, the most finely conditioned uh athletes people we've ever seen and it took him 16 years for he ever had a a major injury in his career and one that I believe that he'll recover from and still be able to be you know very fruitful in the league but what is it about injuries and the way that they ravage athletes and they sometimes they just can't get over the hump well I guess that's the thing when when you're talking about sports you know it's it's kind of like they say it's a gladiator sport especially with football when it's so much you know Mm -hmm. direct contact um, basketball is contact, but not like football. 
But at the same time, you have to look at some of these players. They have so much mileage. If you think about it, yeah. most players have been playing their whole lives. So by the time they make it to the league, they've already put 15 years oh, yeah. plus You're of right. basketball on their body. So that's a lot of wear and tear. And the fact that you're when you make it to the league, you may be playing 80 to 90 games per year. Yeah. Um, your body never fully recovers, never gets rest. And if you're somebody who has that injury gene, um, it's, only, I mean, it's only a matter of time. That's like the kiss of death. Yeah. That's the worst thing you could hope for. Um, you know what it may be, too, is that some maybe sometimes these smaller injuries that they get along the way, they're never rehabbing them correctly or, you know, with the amount of time they're supposed to. Right. So it just keeps building and impacting, building and impacting. And then, like you said, they've been playing their whole lives. Competition, level of competition changes at each level, you know, and then depending on what team you're with, different coaches and different systems run different practices or run different offensive sets and defensive uh, requirements. And maybe that just all wraps into one and finishes some people. Well, realistically, you have to think. I don't think, you know, the human body's not designed to play sports for 20 years. Right. So some of these people are just really just freaks of nature that they're yeah. able to go through what they go through. But at the same time, a lot of times they're, they're masking their injuries and you're, you're medicating just to get through this, but right. you're never, like you said, fully recovered. So if you do that for multiple years, it's only accumulating, and then it just gets to the point where your body just rejects whatever medicine you're giving it. Um, so it's, I mean, you're playing against Father Tom at the end of the day. I guess so. It's LeBron's just, had the most mild. I think he's LeBron had the most. and Kevin Garnett, those they've oh, had yeah. long careers, but just think about LeBron's always made it to the postseason yeah. for the most part. So he's well, been the difference between LeBron and, and KG, KG had a 21-year career, but the last several seasons he was no longer um, the man and his teams were no longer competitive. LeBron James is breaking all molds here, like going into year 17, and he still is, I believe, still trying to be competitive in this league and win championships. And that's not usually um, – that's usually not happening for a lot of superstars in their waning years. And well, part of it, I think that's why he's putting so much emphasis on training and performance because he knows as he gets older, he can only sustain so much. Well, he he always knew that. I think that he knows he was born with this with the, with some natural talent ability, you know, God given capabilities. But from from very early on, his regimen was very uh, was very structured and dedicated. And then with the more access you know more uh success and the, and the more knowledge he acquired he knew he had to really invest in himself you know and spend that money to really i mean he's i noticed too, it more when he went back to the Cavs the second time yeah he really became more conscious of you know i need to make sure i manage my time or yeah. even be he played smarter he played way smarter he started losing weight that's because he's like, I want to make sure I can extend my career as far as possible because I don't want to be one of those people like, you know, I could have played three more years at, you know, at my yeah. peak, but because I had this injury or that injury. Yeah. When he returned to the Cavs, he was going into year 11, I believe. Yeah. Year 11. And I mean, 10 years already is kind of like where some people start really seeing that decline in the NBA. So... And the fact that he had, you know, just come off of going to the finals four years straight, you know, Olympics, all, you know, playoffs, all kinds of things. I think he got that awareness and was like, you know what? I have the money. I can really spend money on this and really make sure I'm in tip top shape. 
And, you know, as a result of that, he was able to compete in four more finals runs. You know, so... With, I think with sports, if, as an athlete, um, and there's James Harrison from the Steelers. He's one of those other okay. other yeah. athletes that really invested in themselves mm-hmm. to make sure because you know how important, like your body is your biggest asset. Absolutely. Your biggest investment. I think he invested, what, a million dollars a year yeah. towards the end of his career, just making sure that he could stay healthy. Um, that's extreme, but at the same time, it's like if you know. Yeah, and extreme because he don't make as much money as LeBron James makes. Right. <laughs> But as that's going to hit him a little harder, so I might respect that a little more. I mean, but as an athlete, you, you need to take, you know, some level of responsibility. Like, okay, I need to make sure I'm able to play for three more years. Yeah. Um, so I need to start taking care of myself. I don't think a lot – of course, as a younger athlete, you, you, you're young. You have a lot of um, energy. You don't necessarily think of it like that, but that's something that you should probably be thinking more of as soon as you hit the league because, like, you have so many players that they play one year and then they have an injury and it's – that's it for them. Well, yeah, everything is all about timing and circumstance. Because like you said, um, you're always you're only one good injury away from, you know, jumping off the cliff. Like, seriously. So with that being said, let's talk about Derrick Rose. I think he is the foremost prominent figure in this whole injury gate right now. And he, he's had a uh, he's had a time of it. He's this is this was his eleventh season, and he's gone from the youngest MVP the league's ever seen to, I mean, really just trying to redeem himself and stay healthy enough to play a formidable season. Yeah, I think when he started, he was probably one of the brightest stars, just because yeah. his athleticism was just so unseen. Out of this world. Um, he was explosive. He was, you know, just he had so much talent. And the fact that he was from Chicago, he was playing in Chicago, yeah. I think for Chicagoans, I'm pretty sure that brought back some, you know, memories of Jordan. It was though- a big deal. I mean, that was the first time Chicago was competitive since Jordan had left. Like, playing in Chicago, everyone, you know, knows that L.A. is a big market, New York's a big market. You can throw Miami in there as far as favorable destinations. But Chicago, even after Jordan left Chicago in 98, still maintain like was in like I think the top five in attendance for the next ten years. That is how big of a brand the Chicago Bulls was and how dedicated and loyal the fans were. Even th- that team sucked <laughs> flat out for a good ten years from the Tyson Chandlers and the Eddie Currys. That team was not good. Okay, so by the time hometown hero Derrick Rose came, I mean and they immediately, you know, started winning and going to the playoffs and he was his career started taking off individually, and within a third year MVP. I mean, people don't remember he took the MVP in the middle of LeBron James four MVPs. He was that middle one. LeBron could have won it five years in a row, but Derrick Rose, young Derrick Rose, stole that MVP in 2011. And sad to say, it has went downhill from there. But his injury is one of those, another one. And I don't know if it's necessarily um, due to a career-ending injury or if he's one of those people that has the injury gene. Cause I think, some I think of he it, has the injury gene. Yeah, because I, I think, think so. some of it was more, um, I, think, I think it was health-related, but I think it may have also been, you know, something that just got magnified due to other playing injuries. So, like, sometimes you play, like you said, you play through the injury, but 
playing through the injury sometimes causes a bigger injury. So sometimes yeah. you may need to just sit it out, but because you, you know, you have different people telling you, we need you, you got to do this, and you also have that, that level or expectation that you want to live up to, you play through it anyway. Even though in the back of your mind, you know, I may not need to play this game. Yeah. Um, but also the ego is going to be like, you know, you want to look like you're, you're not tough. So you don't want to sit out because she, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, you have the media, you have the fans, you have to deal with all of that. Oh yeah. And he dealt with it. He did. He had a documentary that came out a few weeks ago and it really just like walked through his entire career and it displayed um, clips like from when all this stuff was happening. And, you know, Derek Rose, born in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago, played for Chicago. He's the quintessential NBA story comes from nothing. He's a savior of his family. Um, you know, and he saw the success. And when he got injured, it was a little bit perplexing. And so I had to really go back and think about that time period too. And I think he first tore that ACL in the playoff game, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been 2012 is when he tore that ACL. Because, it, yeah, it was the year after the MVP. And um, so he was out during the playoffs. And he ended up sitting out the entire 2013 season, the 2012-2013 season. But what happened amidst that season is that there were rumblings that he may come back for the entire season, but he never ended up coming back. Well, in, in, And everybody was perplexed. Well, and that's the thing, because... That's a case where he knows his body isn't ready, but mm -hmm. they want him to get on the floor. Mm -hmm. So you're fighting that, you know, two battles. It's like, you know, I want to support my team. I want to be there. I want to get my 100%. But at the same time, do I want to risk making this injury where I can't make it for the next year? Um, and ACL is a big injury. Yeah, it is. Um, sometimes you don't recover. In his case, he never really recovered. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's... That, for me, was one of the saddest cases because he was another one that was like a favorite for me. Yeah. Because I saw the potential. Um, he played in a conference with U, U of H. Yeah. University so of Houston. So we saw it firsthand. So you actually get to see his, you know, his rise to stardom. Yeah. And actually see him actually have a good season. Um, like, he was the rookie of the year starting out. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, expectations were high. He was the savior of Chicago at the time. So there was definitely a lot of people rooting for him. But to see him kind of crash like that, and then not only that, but there wasn't that many people that kind of like believed in him coming back. Well, it's it's psychological. You know, when, when he missed that whole season, the city kind of turned on him. You know, like Chicagoans are like real sports fans. That's a sports town. So, and because it's not being communicated properly, I guess. And, you know, I think his brother was, was saying a lot in the media and trying to be like his spokesperson, though nobody asked his opinion. It just came off really bad. So he missed that whole season. And then the next season, I think he only played like 10 games and then was out again. And then by the time the next season rolled around, the writings were on the wall. It was, you know, one part of the documentary, they like he was filming a, a confessional when he got the call, like live action. And he went, took the call and he was emotional. He was really emotional. It's like though he was going to New York it was like the end of an era. I mean, he's leaving his hometown. He's never been away from Chicago, you know, like besides that one year in Memphis. And um, and he's still struggling with, with, with injuries and come back to his, for, to, to his former self. So, I mean, 
it's such a visceral moment to see that captured real time. And, you know, and since then, you know, he was in New York. We know the hellhole New York is, <laughs> you know, it, it just it just wasn't coming together. It's not Derrick Rose. He's still getting injured. Then he ends up um, in Cleveland last season. And Cleveland is a shit show. You know, that was a tumultuous season for everybody. And he's contemplating, like, is like what am I doing? Like, is this really worth it? Can I really come back from this shit? And he's taking these leaves of absence. And one thing I will say, Derrick Rose, like, he's always done things for, for him. You know, like, he, he'll pull disappearing acts. You know, he'll sit out a season because he feels like I'm thinking about my future. You know, I, I have kids. You know, and I got to do what's best for me. And some people may look at it like, oh, it's selfish. Or he's not being a, a team player. Or he's not being professional. But, you know, the stories he told about his childhood, he is just looking out for him and who he is to his family and his neighborhood. And he may not do it in the best way, but I get it on some level. I do. And that's why everybody felt it this past season when he had that moment where he scored 50 points and he had that very real emotional uh, display because, like he said, he worked his ass off. He worked his ass off. He could have gave up long ago. Shit is not going right. And you see when a lot of uh, superstars, one, one move changes the trajectory of their entire career and they never recover. But... I say, I say Derrick Rhodes is a fighter. He's he's a warrior, and I think that he's willing to 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 keep at it. I think he had a solid season this year. He could be comeback player of the year. I think he should be, and I think um, you know he's still fighting the fight. So we'll we'll see where it goes for him. And in that moment when he had the uh, the fifty point game, that was just kind of one of those those Rocky Balboa type of situations yeah. where you. You root for the person. Redemption. We all rooted for him. And um, it's interesting to see because you got to – I think people don't – for an athlete, you know, your body is pretty much your, your golden ticket. So mm -hmm. once that starts to shut down, your psyche starts following, mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to come back from. Yeah. Um, and so when you know your, your acid isn't working, you kind of have to work around it and manage it. And then once the team and everybody else knows that you're not what you used to be, that's a hard thing to come back from also because mm -hmm. you used to be the guy and now you're not. Yeah. Um, so that level of respect that you're used to getting, you don't know how to act as if you're just a role player. So I think that's a hard thing for a lot of players to swallow. But a lot of these guys, they still manage to go through their career and have respectable careers um, for the most part. Um, Derrick Rose is still playing, um, still working through it, but it's still one of those what-ifs. It is a big what-if. It is a big what-if. I think that he wants to prove to himself, the world, to Chicago, that, you know, he's still a viable player. He faced a lot of criticism. You know, they paid him $90 million. He got that $90 million in that contract, and the whole city turned against him. And it, was a, it ended up being a bad deal for Chicago, I guess, because they had to end up moving on from it and rebuild in, in another way. And um, I think that he's, um, you know, we'll just stay tuned and see. But I'm rooting for him, definitely. I have no choice but to. I've watched his whole career, you know. So, but yes, it's what if. What if. That, that's a big, 
this the league is so interesting you know all it takes is one one bad year one bad injury one bad you know contract expiring and things can change in a heartbeat So the NFL draft was a few weeks ago. Um, so, of course, no surprise, Kyler Murray went first overall to the Cardinals. Um, I don't know. I feel kind of lukewarm about the draft this year. I'm not that excited. Really? What would you What would you say is your, your biggest surprise pick? Who do you think was the biggest surprise? I think the fact that Dwayne Haskins fell to 15. With him being a Heisman finalist, I don't think he appreciated it too. <laughs> I don't know him falling to fifteen or the fact that the Giants overlooked him oh, and picked yeah. up Daniel Jones. Because I'm oh, a Giants, yeah. I'm a Giants fan. Okay, um, I think I'll defer to you on that. Most of Giants Nation are <laughs> is still in shock, Stunned, right? Um, we're still kind of hoping that I, I'm still in shock. Um, I, I really would have thought they would have picked up Haskins, but. Prior to the draft, I think they were saying that, I guess the rumors were that they weren't going to get Haskins. Um, just because they, he didn't fit the that, mold. Are they that loyal to the Mannings? Yes. Mannings? Yeah, I think. You see I think that because white he privilege? Fits, you see that? I, I feel like because he fits the mold that they that they like, um, and he's basically reincarnation of Eli. So it's like we know what we're getting, and we're just going to stick the with Daniel it. The Daniel Jones, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> oh it's going to be another... I would say two to three years before we, because actually, if we don't have a good year this year, we may be able to get another quarterback next year. So that's a lot of sacrifice. You already had one right there waiting for you, but that is the difference between the NFL and the NBA. The NFL is very much so white is right. I said it. Well, for the Giants, yeah, that's that's pretty much the case. They they don't feel too comfortable with. Different an X quarter. factor. Right. Um, but I would say that would be the biggest shock for me. Now, another one, another pick that I feel like was a big surprise was um, Cleveland Farrell for yeah. the Raiders. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. I'm, I don't know why they went in that direction. I don't know what Gruden has up his sleeve or if that was just something that they wanted, like a safe bet. I wouldn't even consider that a safe bet because they could have got him later in the draft. Yeah, but that's kind of like my whole feeling on the draft is like I don't feel like like most of the moves didn't make sense. Like a lot of these teams had an immediate need and they went in another direction. So I know that there's been a lot of like there's been a lot of moves like uncharacteristically in this offseason with players going different areas. So I know that a lot of teams have a lot to work with already, but maybe that's why this I wasn't, you know, really I was underwhelmed with, with the draft because it none of it made sense to me. It could have been part of it because um, there were a lot of really good de- defensive players mm-hmm. in this draft. Um, there weren't too many like really great, great quarterbacks. Offense, yeah. Um, so they had to kind of play with what they had. But I don't even think there were a lot of great like wide receivers. You know me, I'm more of an offensive girl when it comes to football. Like I, I know more of the offensive players because that to me is the part that drives the the game up and down the field. So I guess there wasn't a ton of offense. Hollywood Brown was a good pick for the Ravens. Yeah. Um, I really would have thought Drew Locke would have got picked sooner than he did. Mm. I don't know why. There was a lot of that going on. And 
I don't know if it's because there's a lot of speculation or they just projected that some of these players, I don't know if they want to spend money or what, but typically if you have a good quarterback on, you know, that's available, you take them. You know, most that's teams usually can, what it's been. Yeah, like, most teams can always use like a we'll good quarterback. Like we'll figure out what to right. do with them later. Um, so <clears throat> this was Some a surprise. strategic moves. I mean, I'm going to have to see how it plays out. A lot of it seemed like hidden, hidden strategery. <laughs> we borrow that terminology from our fool in, in uh, office. Um, but we'll have to see where, um, where a lot of that goes. I think, um, I mean, like the Cleveland Browns obviously made a, a really sexy move with getting uh, – Odell Beckham Jr. and you know how they have um, they have like a, a really good core right now, and I think they picked up Greedy Williams. Yep. But again, on defense, so um, they're really prepping up to like be something special this season. I and I'm rooting for them. Like I really want to see what comes together for that. You got um <laughs> that story, uh, the story of OBJ and uh, what's his friend's name? Jarvis Landry. Grew up together, best friends, played in college, and now they're reunited on in, you know on the professional level. I think that's interesting. Um, my team, the Texans, um, we didn't do anything breathtaking either. I think this. Well, I think part of it is because a lot of the teams kind of have what they have the pieces they need. Um, like when you look at it, you have Kansas City; they're pretty much solid. Yeah. Um, a lot of the top contenders already have the picks. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the people who needed the picks, there wasn't really too much that's going to really change their their franchise. Right. Um, so it's not really diff- you know difference maker type players. But I would say for me, the teams to watch just for the sake of you know what's transpired from the end of last year and with the draft, I would say the Browns just because there's a yeah. lot of hype and buzz around them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Steelers because of what's going on yeah. with Le'Veon Bell and um, and Antonio Brown. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Patriots because without Gronk, how is Belichick going to be able to reinvent himself? He always finds a way um, because he knows the knows the systems, he knows the game, and he's smart enough to plug and play. He always like manufactures people to fill the needs that he has. I, he goes deep sea diving for <laughs> for these he's random the evil genius. People. He knows how he to is, get it done, and I'm really hoping that he has finally been foiled. You know, I'm I'm, I'm waiting for their downfall. So. Well, OBJ says, you know, he's planning on making the Cleveland the new Patriots. So maybe let's let's go for it. Nah, it's not gonna happen. Let, let's do it. Let's get a let's look, get a little color out here. Let's do it. First, they need to get some sort of chemistry. If they can get, you know, chemistry and they can all be on the same wavelength, they can definitely win the division. Going all the way to the Super Bowl, I think that's a far cry. I mean, in that's, that's pretty year. lofty in the first year. I think that they'll make the playoffs at least. If they can't make the playoffs, they need to. Yeah, if they can't make mayday, the playoffs, like, mm, <laughs> that's in that division. Well, they play. They're playing in a tough division. It is. Oh, that's true. Um, but even with that, they have the most talent in they the do. division, so they well, should be winning that. It's time to put the, your money and your, you know, where your mouth is. You know, OBJ. You're no longer in New York. You know, so the end zone dances are cute, but you're now in a grinded out. City. Welcome to the dog pound. Yeah, pretty much. You're in blue collar territory here, so. But they're they're more. They want the they want the excitement. Yeah, they you know, do. If you're gonna win, if you're gonna play hard, they, they're behind you. I mean, they thought they would get a little bit of it with that failed experiment with Johnny Football, um, but you know, he's just he's still trying. Bless his heart, you know. <laughs> well, 
I would say Mayweather kind of brings that Mayweather. Mayfield, he brings that same kind of, you know, swagger. Right. Run him, gun him. Right. But he actually can follow through and get it done. Right. So I think with him and a combination of a good run game, wide receivers, new coach, you know, there's a lot of potential. But there's a lot of hype there. So I don't want to reign them king of anything. Um, but I will say there's one other team, the uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. So you, you draft Kyler Murray. He's a world-class athlete. But he's basically the uh, Russell Wilson 2.0. Yeah, he is. Because had he not been drafted Russell Wilson, then I don't think he would be, you know, playing right now. Just for the simple fact that I don't think scouts would have given him that much, you know, leverage. And the fact that Russell just launched or got that big deal um, shows that they do have faith in, you know, quarterbacks that are smaller but are more athletic. So I think this is going to be the new wave of quarterbacks. Well, he already proved that. He already won a Super Bowl. He did, but they still were kind of on the fence. They, and he should have ran the ball. But yeah, <laughs> they get they gave him what hundred was it one hundred forty? One hundred forty million, sixty five so. guaranteed. I'll take that over another ring. Hell yeah, who so, wouldn't? <laughs> um, but I'm interested to see what they do in Arizona with um, Kyler and Cliff. Yes, um, because that's a really bold move. It you, is. Either it's going to be really good or it's going to be just a Terrible. flat out mistake. I, I agree. Um, let's give a little shout out to our alma mater, U of H, Ed Oliver. Got picked up by the Bills. Go Cougs. Ninth overall. Um, he had a stellar career at U of H. I'm excited to see what he'll do. Um, he Buffalo's, was pretty much the bright spot. He was. He was. So After Herman left. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff go, goes on with U of H football in the last several years. But I'm glad that we got another draft pick. The playoffs without LeBron James. LeBron-less playoffs. Womp womp. (laughs) NBA playoffs, um, you know, we're knee-deep into the second round now. Um, First round, you know, I was unimpressed. I guess there were a few highlights, I guess. There were a lot of highlights for me. I I love the matchup (laughs) with Portland against OKC. Um, I we should have gotten more games out of that. I was a little disappointed. That was that was beautiful. That was like old school. It kind of brought me back to like Jordan and um, and Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, not Jordan and Pittsburgh. In the Pistons. Jordan, Jordan and um, the Blazers. Oh, and the Blazers. Okay. That, that was a good matchup because Damian, Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook, they weren't backing down. So they it was weren't. it was the battle of the double zeros, you know, <laughs> and I think. The way that the game ended, um, that final game when oh he pulled my up God. with the Historic. exclamation, yeah, that, that was that was great. So that series kind of made it for me. Well, um, I wanted seven games. I did, so I was like, "Damn, Thunder! Like, can y'all stretch this out a little bit?" Like, I think they ran out of fuel. I yeah. think that's what it was. They were just you know outmatched, and then not only that, but Portland—they've been through so much with that last year's um, defeat that they yeah. had a chip on their shoulder, yeah. and. Through that loss, they had a different, you know, team chemistry that OKC just doesn't have. Um, Paul George wasn't 100. Um, this is his first year on the team, so they don't have that cohesiveness. That his you second know, year. Well, second year. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and he it, and he chose the Thunder over perhaps LA or the Clippers. He chose the Thunder, signed a long term deal. Him and and Russell get along really good on the court, and, and off the court too. They just didn't have enough. Not enough. I don't know. Like Paul George, but this has always been my thing with Paul George. I love him as a player. He's great, but he's not consistent. 
there was a, a chunk of the season where he was an MVP candidate, and then he just kind of dropped off a little bit. That's kind of what he does. Yeah, that's kind of what he does. But that's so. why it's good to have another player like a Russell Westbrook, so that those times when he kind of falls back, he can step up. Russell, you know, Russell Westbrook is going to be a double double every night. Triple um, he's, double. Well, triple double. He's going to be the most consistent piece. But I think what they're lacking is that third option. Um, they don't have somebody who's not necessarily even a third option, but if they can build or have better role players, um, when they're off, it wouldn't be so obvious. Whereas with Portland, they have a really good team in the sense that everybody knows their role and they play it well. Um, McCullum, he comes off, he does his thing. Um, Damien's always going to be consistent. You no, know, he's ice cold regardless. Yeah. Cantor does his thing. So they're a team. Can OKC is just one of those places where I don't want to say Russell Westbrook is the Achilles heel, but it's hard trying to build around a player like that because he plays so unorthodox. He's a, he's an interesting he's a, he's almost a conundrum. The issue with OKC is that they don't have a reliable third option. Right. And in order to compete in this league for in the West, in the West, you got to have a, a third option. You got to have an All Star as a third option. That's what it seems like. And um, funny enough, like Russell Russell Westbrook was the two when it was him and, and KD. KD should have been the one. Uh, Russell Westbrook, in his mind, will always be the one. But I think that that kind of was a detriment. And to why that that pairing didn't work out, or why KD left, even though KD struggles to be a one sometimes too, but um, <laughs> a lot of numbers here. But Russell Westbrook is like a one that needs to be a two, but he doesn't believe that in his head. Paul George is somebody who could potentially be a one, but he doesn't always bring it. Right. So they don't have a one essentially. So bad shot selections. I don't know. I don't know about the Thunder team. And until you can find a coach who can build a system that works, um, it's always going to, I think they're always going to be just, you know, just shy of making Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you're dealing with a person, he's an extraordinary player and athlete, but he doesn't fit the mold. So unless you have a very creative coach, they're always going to be having just those short issues. Of it. Yeah. But he's exciting to watch. It I love is. It. They had some great games this season, some great moments. Um, they'll be solid, you know, together. It's just that, you know, do they want to get over that hump and actually compete for a championship? They're, they're probably a piece or two away. Yeah. And, um, Portland just exploited that. I mean, they were pretty solid all season. Um, they had some ups and downs. Um, they lost Nurchich late. Um, but that was a, a point guard battle royale between him and Russell Westbrook. And, you know, Damian Lillard is like, there's a lot of people that don't vibe with him. I don't know if you've noticed that. Because he, he's not that flamboyant point guard. You know, he's not trying to be, like, the world's greatest citizen like a Steph Curry. But he's a killer. But he's not going to kiss your ass. So a lot of people don't vibe with him. And he's an all-NBA player. Like, he will be all-NBA first team, in my, in my belief. And people still sleep on him. Well, well he, he woke him up with that 50-point you know, a salient shot. So, and I think part of it's just the fact that he plays for Portland, one of those markets that people yeah. don't really pay attention to. Yeah, and he kind of reminds you of Brandon Roy, and it says like they were really good, but yeah. you just don't pay attention to him. Yeah, and until you make it to the playoffs, you don't even know he's doing what he's doing. It's true. But he's an all star. And thankfully for them in Portland, they've always had a great 
uh, fan base. So the city of Portland knows what they have and just waiting for the rest of the NBA to figure it out. But that was by far the highlight of the first round. Uh, What else? Um, The Rockets took care of business, you know, off the jazz. You know, Donovan Mitchell, I think, is a star. You know, I admire him. He's a young player. He seems like a good guy. He's a young leader, you know. And um, at some point, you know, maybe he'll – his shooting has to get better. His shooting is inconsistent. And, they again, they don't have enough pieces right now to really compete. Will Utah ever have enough pieces? I don't know. Utah, Denver. Honestly, in my mind, I don't ever, like, no disrespect, but – you know, certain markets and some certain teams you really don't ever see winning the championship. Not like it's not possible. It's just it's unlikely. Because how are you going to draw marquee players to those places? Like OKC, um, you know, Denver, Utah. Superstar players really don't want to play there. Well, it, it, How do you entice those I mean, people? I don't know. It, 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 it's going to have to happen organically. I mean, Cleveland is not a great market, but they just happen to draft one of the greatest players of, of all time. That's San, his hometown. San, right. San Antonio's not a big market. But they just happen to have one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time, there for the last 22 years. So it may have to be something that happens organically with some of those other markets. Um, I mean... And parity's always been an issue in major league is. sports. Um, and so for a lot of these mid-markets, they have to be creative. You look at Phoenix, um, having one of the best players. They've always been a team that, you know, they've had great seasons, but you've never seen can't them. Get over the hump. They can't get over the hump. Yeah. I um, think they're a franchise that they, they haven't won a championship as a franchise. No. No. There's a lot haven't. of there's a lot of teams. There's that a lot won. of teams that haven't. Um one team in particular that I feel like may possibly come out of the blue and win it is Milwaukee Bucks. Uh the we'll, Greek freak. We'll, we'll get to them. The West, okay. You know, even though the West had the only seven game series in the first round, who's counting? I was still like, Ugh. some games I was unenthused. Some series don't even. That's what I'm saying. I was games. unenthused. So I mean, but you know, because of that, because it took Denver seven games to beat San Antonio, I kind of picked Portland over them. But you know, current present day second round, Portland's on the ropes right now with that ass kicking they got last night. Um, so Denver is a sleeper team. And you know what? Denver, remember, didn't even make the playoffs last year right. on the last day of the season. So if they end up in the Western Conference Finals, that's a hell of a turnaround. And Denver's a really young team. They are. It's a young team. And I think part of it is because they're young and a lot of people, like, they're unassuming. Right. So you don't know what to expect. You don't know what to, you know, plan or adjust for. But I think if they become one of those teams that, you know, repeatedly go back, people know how to match up and build towards them. I don't think um, enough Jokic. people are talking about it, though. Do you really realize that? From the number nine seed to the two seed, and at times they were the one seed in the West, and they have a shot at going to the Western Conference Finals. This is what a small market does to you, huh? Small market, but when you have some, you know, generational... I think Jokic is a generational player. Yeah. Um, he could do pretty much any and everything. And he's young. He's um, And easily. Murray. Those two are uh, like an unassuming combination. I don't think a lot of people pay too much attention because mm-hmm. it's like, who is who are these two people? Yeah. Um, but if they can get enough role players around them, they could possibly be an X factor in the West. Um, but then again, like you said, it's going to have to be an organic situation where they're building some kind of way. They may not be able to entice you know superstar talent, but they can create the best you know good bench and a real good team. 
I think either way, if, if it's real, because, you know, some, some situations are a little, are faux situations that, you know, they'll be good for a couple of years and they'll be back, you know, in the doldrums. But, Boston, um, you mean like Boston? Oh my God. Speaking of Boston. Wait, we'll get there too. The Boston massacre. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Intriguingly enough, Golden State versus the Clippers was entertaining for the first round. I really wish the Clippers would have did some kind of magical spell and gotten over the hump, but kudos to the Clippers, you know, especially when they traded away half their team halfway through the season. No one even gave them a chance, and they still made the playoffs, and they gave Golden State, you know, a hell of a run, um, historic comeback, you know, in Golden State. I think it woke up Golden State a little bit. They haven't really experienced, you know, that in the playoffs in the last four or five years, especially early. I mean, they're usually sweeping people in the first few rounds before it gets serious. So, you know, that was a dog, a dogged series. And, you know, I, I appreciate that. I think that the champs needed that. I don't know if it necessarily just woke up um, Golden State, but I think it also woke up L.A. with the fact that you have a mess with the, the Lakers. Hot mess. Um, I think it put a lot of pressure on them because now if the Clippers are perennial – you know, playoff contenders and LA is consistently not winning. Um, I think that shines a lot of bad light on them and LeBron that puts pressure on yeah. him to win. So look, I mean the Clippers, don't get me wrong, they still got a lot of work to do this off season. Not as much as the Lakers. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> I know, but the Clippers have to be careful this summer that they don't become it doesn't become a fluke season. Because they did lose half their team through trade or and whatnot throughout the year. And actually, it's situational because teams in the West that should have been in the playoffs fell off the deep end. The Lakers, Minnesota, who made it last year, you know, they weren't that good. Memphis, I believe, made it last year. They weren't good. New Orleans didn't make it this year. So the Clippers, I commend them, but some situational things, circumstantial things going on there too. So they've got to be uh, careful. But I will say that, there are now legit two destinations that people would like to go to in LA. It's not just the Lakers drawing attention for, to free agents. The Clippers are a legitimate landing spot for a lot of big names too. So they have a lot of pride in that. The Clippers do. Um, so I guess we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, LeBron may want to uh, think about heading to the Clippers himself because <laughs> the Lakers, it's a landfill right now. I don't even want to talk about it. It's a, shithole so the east first round was not that entertaining um two sweeps and two gentlemen sweeps <sighs> milwaukee knocked off detroit like handedly i think every game was a blowout i think that was the most disrespectful <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest waste of time they should have got a buy round for that bullshit that we watched Are i think no i think the coach really should have just played the bench players <laughs> they should have never. No, they really should have. You should try some shit out, huh? There's no reason why you should be beating people by that much. Come on, that was Show like some respect. Yeah, and especially since the Detroit, <laughs> they had to make the playoffs on the last day of the season just to come and get blown out for four games. No, Blake actually had to come out of. He injury. had to come out of injury just to get blown out and get right back to injury. Like, okay, that's unsportsmanlike. Waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is. Um. I'm going to say Boston for last. Um, Toronto and the Magic. Um, I thought it could have been entertaining, but the Magic kind of came out of nowhere. 
because they were kind of on the outsides looking into the playoffs for a lot of the season. And then towards the end, they picked up steam and kind of um, took what should have been Charlotte's spot, which, you know, that's interesting. What, what will Kimball Walker do? Come on to the Lakers. But um, I don't know. It should have been more. But um, Kawhi, you know, I wasn't a fan of him by default because he was with San Antonio and I just can't ever root for San Antonio. But I mean, the guy is nice. He's nice. He is. He's the best two-way player he, in the league. He is. And I think right now he's just marketing himself. He's like marketing. It's a, it's a win-win for him either way. It's like if we silent marketing. If we, you know, if we proceed to the next conference or next round, it looks better for him. But either way, he's showing that he's, you know, he's going on the market and he's going to get top dollar wherever he goes. And no matter what team he goes to, is he's going to be a difference maker. So hopefully he aligns with the right people. More, more than likely L.A. Do you think it's championship or bust with him, with this Toronto? Because he it's working out. I mean, he's melding pretty well. Yeah, I don't see him staying there next year. Wow. Um, just for the simple fact, it's it's not enough excitement. Um, I don't think... In Toronto? Up. Are you kidding me? Toronto's probably one of, is a sleeper premier destination. They're a diehard for, the, they're die hard for, for their team. But I they mean, for, treat the, their players so well. The only Achilles heels is just so damn cold. But it's, it's so far out of the way. Yeah, but they him, treat you like royalty. And for him, I think with his personality, he would probably more than likely want to be closer to home and also play for a winning team or a team that's, you know, trying to win. Um, as quiet as he is, I just wouldn't peg him for the diva that he is, you know, pre- presumed to be right now. He's not a diff- diva. He just just because he don't talk has his preferences. I guess. Well, okay. Who else in the first round? Um, the first round was pretty much it, it was, was a bust. Pretty lukewarm. I mean, this it's like the series they could have been better series, and there were some some good games and some some highlights, but overall the star power is down. I'm I didn't like everyone take note the effect of a LeBronless playoffs. It's not even that. You got to think about <laughs> the first rounds are always kind of pegged like that. You have you know your, your higher seeds against your lower seeds, so you expect them to be sweet swept. But you don't expect them to get beat like the Pistons got beat. I don't that know. Was... I, I feel like other first rounds have been more entertaining than that. Even when they were sweeping them, it's just still been like I don't know. Maybe they're because... warm ups though. They're more like warm up rounds, so it, people it can kind of get ready to let it okay is. let you know the regular season season is done. These are the playoffs. Um, but you really don't get into it till you know the second round. Yeah. The second round is where everything matters because you know everybody's playing at their peak. Yeah. Um, and you're that. Close to the ring, so most most people start to step it up second round. First round, you don't really expect too much. Well, I mean, I I really wish that Brooklyn would have given. I wish they would have knocked off Philadelphia first of all, but at least would have given them a little bit more of a run for their money. Um, D'Angelo Russell is a is a star. You know what a difference a couple of years makes when he got traded from the Lakers. You know, amidst embarrassment and <laughs> snitching on teammates. He was just an afterthought, you know, and he has really found a home and he he is really um, exploring his, his capability. He's really displaying his talent and he's getting to do it on, on a big stage in Brooklyn. I mean, premier, come on, it's still New York. It is the backstage of New York. Okay, but come on. I mean, it's I mean, like, honestly, it's like the whole Clippers-Lakers thing. Exactly. So it's easier to play. And I'm glad you said that because it's easier to play in a setting where the expectations aren't as high versus you're playing on a team where you're you're on the platform, you're on the stage, and everybody sees everything you do. Yeah. L.A. is one of those places. 
So he was able to take a back seat and just do what he does. And it worked out for him in Brooklyn, but Brooklyn just doesn't have enough talent. Yeah. I mean, definitely the Sixers' talent um, overpowered them ultimately in that series. Um, so that's that. Now, Boston, listen, that sweep had me thinking, all right, don't sleep on the Celtics. They've had a tumultuous season, up and down, but this is where the stories are made. Kyrie Irving's already a champion. We know what he brings to the table. And the team had the success last year, so they've been there. You know, they were one game, a few plays away from going to the finals last year. So when they came out and they swept Indiana, and, and you know, Indiana – Hats off to them because once once they lost uh, Oladipo, they could have just floundered and you know just fallen out the playoff race. But they held their own, and um, you know ultimately they just didn't have enough star power, enough talent to maintain that in the playoffs. But Boston really had me going. I thought, okay, well the playoffs is the second season; it's a different stage. So now we segue into the second round, and I guess like you said, you know teams are tightening up. It's getting a little more serious, a little more real because you can start tasting it. You can start knocking those wins off, getting closer and closer to the ultimate prize. And, I mean, real time, they just got knocked out. <laughs> well, second round is really where everybody gets exposed. Like, you really, you know, you get exposure or get exposed. Yeah, ooh, and, that's a good one. We're going to copyright that. And Boston just so happened to get exposed because I honestly had them pegged. I really thought they were going to win the East. I did too. Over, I think over, the conversation the we had, I picked them going to the um, at least to the Western Con- or Eastern Conference Finals. But I think this just goes to show you can have you know on paper you can have the best players, but if you don't have the system and the cohesiveness, it's really not going to make a difference. Yeah, the Bucks play like they've been playing together since high school. Wow, you know the chemistry is just there. They wanted to young and they're having fun. Boston's like it's just it's so rigid. People can't find their places. Well, they're they're um, disjointed for sure. Discombobulated. Right. Um, their I think their psyche got the best of them. You think? Yeah, because like, as much as I love Kyrie, like he's become like a cancer. I think yeah, and he, his body language speaks speaks volumes. Like yeah. you could tell he doesn't want to be. He's there. dejected. He's deflated. You know, he's he's irritable, and it all shows. And I think there's gonna be some big changes in Boston. But I think that's also for him. You know it's kind of a test and a learning curve because you go from a smaller market with like Cleveland to a bigger market or a franchise Storied market, a franchise mm-hmm. that has a certain level of expectation. You're going to have to answer the media. You're going to have to, you know, be a leader. If yeah. you're going to be that guy, you, you have to be that guy. You want to be the man, be the man. You know, you're coming from a franchise. You have Bill Russell, you have uh, Larry Paul Bird, Pierce, Larry you have Bird Paul, John Havlicek, you know, Kevin Garnett. Like you have all of these legends, and if you expect to play there, you have to have you have to have, have an understanding that there is a level of expectation. And so, if you're going to be a leader, you have to lead some kind of way. And I feel like they just fell apart when they needed everybody to come together. It kind of fell apart, and I wouldn't necessarily put it all on him. Some no. of it is coaching as well. Yeah, because when you have well, the way that the season ended, you know, well, first of all, the way that they got Kyrie. They got Hayward. Hayward suffers a devastating injury, knocks him out for the whole season. Kyrie had some injuries throughout the season, ultimately doesn't make it for the playoffs. And that team that's left took it all the way to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The next year, to to incorporate these two all-star players, which, you know, Hayward's a new all-star, Kyrie's a perennial all-star champion, you know, 
has made some historical shots in the playoffs on the big stage, there is a certain way you have to reincorporate these types of players. And that is on the coaching staff. But then it's, it's, it's a personnel problem too, because Kyrie got too big for his britches. So you think he kind of outlived his stay or you feel like he, well, I think, I think that it, it may be, you know, one of those quickie marriages, just crash and burn. Um, I think that Kyrie, he's still a young man, but, you know, this is his eighth season. So he's he's a veteran in this league. And, of course, he's already been through the trenches and, and come out victorious. Um, and I think that he bit off more than he can chew. He wanted to be the man, but everybody can't be the man. It takes a special man to be the man. I wouldn't – well, I wouldn't, you know, give up, give up on him yet. Um, I feel like if he's in the right system – and the right oh, setting course. is a possibility where he can kind of blossom. He just needs to but, be it too. Yeah, I was going to say. That's it. He'll probably be better if he played with LeBron or yeah, played with come KD. Yeah, back. We'll you know, love take you. Take the pressure off of him. We'll love you. Come on back. But it's just, it's hard to say because it's Kyrie Irving's Uncle Drew. But he ain't, he ain't the one. It's not call a spade I think a spade, he's the two. Know? Yeah, I think he's the two. I think, but I think that that, I mean, he's, Scottie Pippen is a two. But Scottie Pippen also led his team when Jordan wasn't there. So there's a difference. Yeah, like, that's when Jordan true. wasn't there, he stuck, you know, he took the team and put it on his back. That's true. Ky- um, Kyrie is just a, a he has a, a different a special kind of personality. He's a real He's a great player. He's a great player. Horrible a, leader. Horrible leader. He's a cerebral person, but I don't know if he's a cerebral player. And when you're a leader of a team, you have to know how to manage personalities. You know? And I think he alienated his teammates a lot more often than he did brought them together. So ugh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, but they're out. They're out. And Milwaukee moves on. Um, Toronto and the 76ers, I think that that series should be done. 76ers probably had the second talented, second most talented starting five of any team in the league uh, after Golden State. But something is not coagulating there enough to get him over the hump. Embiid. Embiid. He's going to be the storyline for this yeah. whole series. Because it's like, he really sways. Whoever shows up is going to dictate you know, how, this, mm-hmm. how the game goes. They're not showing up. And so, multiple stars are not showing up at the same time. He's had one great game this, this series, and the other ones have been duds. And they say he's sick, you know, which there has to be a certain amount of attention paid to that, but the real stars, it doesn't matter if you're sick. Get up and play the game. Get up and give it your all. Nobody wants to hear that you're sick. You told us to trust the process. What's up? I think for them, um, this is probably you know a learning experience for them. Oh, yeah. Just for the simple fact, they're young. You know, they're a young team. They have a lot of you know. They have a lot of egos do. there too. Yeah, and they have a lot of growing up to do. I think yeah, a lot of arrogance. bringing Jimmy Butler helped kind of bring that experience to the locker room, mm-hmm. but they still need more. And I think it's going to be a lot of pressure on the coach because it's like you you got to manage this better. Yeah. it doesn't look good. I mean, Ben Simmons, you know, he's this worldwide talent, but he can't shoot. Yeah, that's There's, always been a, that's been the topic since day one. Like, yeah. why can't he? He can't shoot. So that, But I said that, though. I said that. You not being able to shoot is going to shoot you in the foot come playoff time. It's a different beast. You're playing the same team over and over. So they will quickly figure you out. Oh, yeah. They've, they've exploited it. Yeah. 
And so, what do yeah. you do in that situation? And they haven't found they haven't found the answer, but they're gonna have to find the answer in the off season. Yeah. Um, and then there's talks of possibly splitting them up. I don't think anything's gonna change in terms of, you know, them two moving. Maybe Jimmy Butler might leave. I don't Jimmy know. Jimmy Butler, he's... I don't know. I mean, he he comes in. He had you know he's had some moments. He's had some great shots, and he's a dog. You know, he's he's a, a tough player. Plays with grit. You know, but too much arrogance. I don't see him staying. Too much arrogance in that locker room. You can't have everybody can't have a big head. You know, I don't like the the moves that Jimmy Butler played. You know, uh, pulled this year with Minnesota. I just don't think you have enough accolade to pull those cards that he was pulling. Y'all need me. No, it, what have you done, sweetheart? You know, too much arrogance. Ben Simmons thinks he is the bee's knees. Joel Embiid swears he's unstoppable. I guess they found the stopper because I I think that they're out in game six. And even even if they go to game seven, I don't think they'll win. So Toronto is solid. Um, Kyle Lowry has had some inconsistent moments, you know, during this playoffs, you know, and, and he's notorious for that, not showing up in the playoffs, but he's rebounded, you know, and, and he, and he's, um, he, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. So I think that Toronto should close him out in game six. They blew him out yesterday. So, um, we'll see on that in the West, um, nuggets and trailblazers. Again, I'm, I'm, a little disappointed with the with the downslide that Portland has had. I mean, to come off such an electric first round, and you know they started off real well, um, but Denver has just proven that it, they're just too much, and Jokic Jokic is too much. He's too much for everybody. He is having some 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 uh, some angry triple doubles, like man's triple doubles here, some meaty triple doubles, and I don't He's know too much to contain. And I think at the same time, it's a matchup problem for Portland. Yeah. Because um, if you're throwing Cantor at him, I mean, it's no match. Cantor. And Cantor, I think he's going through. Um, he has an injury. That and also, I believe, um, he's fasting, I believe. Yes, Ramadan just started. So that's also going to be difficult for him because, yeah. you know, sustaining his energy throughout the series, um, playing against somebody that big and physical. Yeah. So they'll have to rotate. Put multiple bodies, different looks, um, but Denver. I think just for the something like they're they're you know a team that's on the rise, so you don't have too many people that's been paying too much attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so coaching wise, I don't think they were prepared for them. Yeah, um, and they don't have enough weapons to. to oh yeah, them. I easily picked uh, Portland over Denver, but I don't think it's over yet. I mean, I do think that Portland will win Game Six in Portland. And then game seven is, you know, winner takes all. That's a toss-up. Um, Damian Lillard's got to play better. And McCullum also. They have kind of backslid a little bit um, in this second round. Not shooting well. There is a lot of bad shooting going on in this playoff. Does anybody practice shooting anymore? Right now, it's just <laughs> it's a numbers game. You just shoot up enough. And uh, it's ugly. There is so much bad shooting going on. And I don't know. Like, these games just... A lot of clunkers, man, and I guess we'll see. And the battle royale is brewing with the Rockets in Golden State. Real time, they're playing right now. They're in Golden State. Um, I'm amped about it. I'm really hoping that Houston can can pull this out. The winner of this series will win the Western Conference. Absolutely. And, and potentially the championship. But I, I picked the, the Bucks to win it. Wow. 
I'm just, you know, shooting for the wild card. I'm a ride with Because I think it's all about matchups. Now, I believe, you know, both teams have more experience in, you know, playoff experience than the Bucks. But if they can play fearless, um, if the coaching could be done well, they could potentially win. And if Brogdon comes back. Brogdon is, I think he was supposed to come back this game. So, I don't know if he did. I'll have to check the stats. But I don't know. I'm just like, ugh, I don't care. Where's LeBron? <laughs> but no, either way, this is going to be good because it's going to heat up for what's going to happen in July. So however this shakes out, it's going to make July an interesting month because there's a lot of free agents on the table. The and depending on how coming. people play. How everything pans out this right. year is going to determine a lot with free agency. So I'm, I'm so. looking forward to summer 2019. Yeah, go Rockets. Tiger Woods had... The greatest comeback of all time. Or did he? That's up for debate. <laughs> I it's think it's definitely it's debate. definitely one of the greatest golf comebacks, I would say, in history. Um, because I think he he hadn't won a major since twenty eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the longest droughts. And I, I think just the fact that he had gone through so much um personal issues, um, injuries, um, changing the swing, a lot of different changes that most people would never be able to rebound from. But the fact that it's Tiger, you kind of, you know, anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, of course, the greatest comeback of all time to me is the 2016 NBA Finals. But um, this Tiger story is pretty remarkable. Um, And it happened at the Masters, which is like the penultimate event in the golfing world. And I think that uh, it gets lost on us a lot because golf is an individual sport and it lacks like the enthusiasm or the excitement that we're used to seeing with other sports. But what he accomplished was really, really incredible Um, to go that long without a a major victory. um, And his life has been hellish in the last decade, you know, and he had what, four back surgeries, I think. He got exposed for his infidelity, a slew of porn stars and blonde-headed white women. He went through a divorce. He lost endorsements. He had a DUI. I think he had a pill problem. Poor Tiger been been through it. He sounds like a rock star. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> That's that black side, huh, Tiger? You know, and what's funny is, you know, Tiger notoriously downplays his black side. But funny enough, a lot of black people were happy for him to see him overcome this. You know, so he should think about coming back to us. You know, you can always come home, Tiger. I think that ship sailed years ago. (laughs) But no, it it was definitely a good story. Um, And it's funny because people always want to root for the hero. Um, And I think... This was just one of those examples because when he was on top, he was, you know, he was a force of nature. And a lot of people just, he was just one of those things that hadn't come along in a long time since yeah. probably Jordan. They haven't had anybody in sports that big. That's so known. I mean, and so successful. I mean, he, he really had a, um, a clutch on the sport for a long time. Um, he was feared. And I think part of it. 
that kind of resonated or showed his face during the match because as he started to get closer to the other people in in the top of the race, um, I think that started to get to their head because, you know, it's come, kind of like Mike Tyson, you know, it's, it's part of his psyche. When you mm-hmm. know he's, you know, chasing you down, part of that starts to get to you. And then they, they talk about the roar of the crowds. It's like there's no roar like when Tiger or, or the the group or the, the, the people roar for Tiger versus anybody else. And as a golf player, when you're trying to focus, that definitely will get to you because you need to focus as much as you can. But when you know one of the best in the world is, you know, right on your back, you have to have, you know, ice in your veins to be able to try and shut all of that out. Yeah. I mean, I, for one, didn't think he'd ever be successful again. I really didn't. And I thought, I was like, you know what, Tiger? God don't like ugly. You had a lot of ugliness going on. And that is a direct effect of why your career is floundering. You know, um, he had a Derrick Rose moment. I know Tiger Woods is, is a bigger name, but he had a Derrick Rose moment of redemption. You know, mired in injuries, and in, in his case, in both their cases, personal struggles, personal issues, and able to kind of cross that threshold in a way. Um, of course, with Tigers, it was actually winning a major um, event. But um, Tiger Woods probably would have been a billionaire by now had he not um, suffered that embarrassment and lost those endorsements. He's not doing bad now, $700 million, but he would have for sure been a billionaire by now. Tiger was one of the biggest, the foremost authorities in sports. I mean, just world-renowned. He really put golf on the map. Um, he a media darling, you know, every major endorsement you can think of, he had it. And um, He changed the face of the game. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He made it, he brought it into pop culture. You know, so he was a, he's a very important figure in sports. So um, I think it's, it's a, a testament to what time will do. You know, I think it was, it was good to see the entire world root for Tiger Woods. Um, I mean, it, it catapulted our, commander-in-chief to give him a presidential medal of, of freedom um not a lot of <laughs> but not a lot of athletes have gotten it i think michael jordan um i can't even think of anyone else but it, it's a very elite club to be a part of so and he had his kids there you know a special moment for him so um it's a, a feel-good moment i don't know um what you know what he'll do moving forward is he gonna snap back into form but I think it's always good to see um someone work perilously and get over that hump and 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 find a little bit of glory it's a good thing to see in sports and for him he's actually still on track to break um Jack Nicholas's uh, yeah. major record so he can possibly do it um he's only in his 40s right so and he says he feels like he could possibly win another major this year. That may be a little bit lofty. Be, a little, yeah. <laughs> um, be pushing it there, Tiger. Of course, but... you want to be confident, but right. at the same time, let's be realistic. Yeah. I mean, we'll just see. He's, he's got some game left in him. I think he can finally kind of drop his shoulders and exhale because he finally got one. And I guess we'll just see from here.